Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey folks, what's going on? It's Eddie Trunk here, and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, Podcast One, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcast. Hope you guys are having a good week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing and checking it out each and every week. It is greatly appreciated. And we got another double dip for you, another double header. We've had a lot of these uh, double-headed monster podcasts for the last few weeks, and I am uh, glad to bring you another one with a, a mix, a, a interesting range of guests here. Charlie Starr from the band Blackberry Smoke coming up second, and Ricky Rocket of Poison kicking off the interviews this week. That'll come up first, and I'll tell you a little bit more about both of those in just a second. But first, let me remind you that this podcast is uh, proudly sponsored, and we appreciate the sponsorship of Goodies Headache Powder and their brand new product, which is called Goodies Hangover, which is an absolute must, I would think, for anybody nursing a hangover. And in these times of pandemic, I think there's a lot of people that are probably exactly doing that. So check out the brand new product, Goodies Hangover. It's available at Walmart, Kroger, and Amazon, among other places. And check out all of Goodies' fine products at goodiespowder.com. There's Fast, and there is Goodies Fast. So... We have, uh, like I said, a little later on, we go sort of more in the Southern country rock vibe with Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke. Charlie's a great guy and uh, a really great band if you've had a chance to see Blackberry Smoke and have a lot of respect with the way those guys have built their career. They've really done it the old school way, getting in there from the ground up and building a tremendous career. And again, like everybody, they're sidelined because of the virus. We talk about that and a new EP that Blackberry Smoke recorded recently. And that'll be coming up second. First, we're going to lead with Ricky Rocket of Poison. Ricky should be on tour with Poison right now on the stadium tour, which, of course, is also not happening because of the virus. But Ricky recently relaunched a band called Devil City Angels that he had a few years ago with singer Brandon Gibbs. 
And we get into a little bit of the history of that. They put out a brand new song called Testify, which is really good. It's actually not a brand new song, but it's newly released and it's really, really good. So I wanted to reach out to Ricky to find out what he was doing with this band and what the future of Devil City Angels was. And also, we, of course, talk about Poison, the stadium tour, and his health. For those that may have forgotten, Ricky Rocket is a cancer survivor, so we talk a little bit about that as well. We'll lead with Ricky Rocket, follow with Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke. That's the double dip for you on this week's podcast. Please continue to spread the word about this podcast. Continue to listen and subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk, where I'm most active. Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. Fan page on Facebook, simply at my name as well. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. You can get music news and a whole lot more on my website. So, again, long podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed last week. We had a great double dip with Frank Hannon and Phil Collin. And next week, now, as I always tell you guys, the uh, the interviews you hear on this ra- on this podcast originate on my Sirius XM radio show. So they are all courtesy of Trunk Nation on volume, which you can hear if you're in the U.S. or Canada and have Sirius or XM every day live, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, with nightly replays 10 to midnight Eastern on Channel 106. So all the interviews you hear always come from that radio show. However, what I'm scheduled to bring you next week will be something I haven't done in a while, and that is a podcast-exclusive interview, meaning this is the only place it will debut. And it is with Steve Gorman, the original drummer of the Black Crows, who was in the band pretty much their entire existence, except for currently. And Steve wrote a tremendous book that I just had a chance to finish. And I'm really excited about speaking with him and having him on. And we will do that. That is tentatively scheduled for next Thursday's podcast. And it will debut here, meaning that will be one of the extremely rare ones that did not air originally on my Sirius XM show. So if you're a Black Crows fan... Very, very, very mandatory listening as we debut a podcast exclusive next Thursday. Steve Gorman, original drummer, founding member of the Black Crows. Looking forward to that conversation and bringing it to you exclusively and debuting it for you here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, scheduled for next Thursday. Okay, let's get uh, a break here. We will come back, start with Ricky Rocket, follow with Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke on this week's podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jillian with Court Junkie. Court Junkie is a true crime podcast that covers court cases and criminal trials using audio clips and interviews with people close to the cases. Court Junkie is available on Apple Podcasts and podcastone.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk here with you on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. As promised, we kick off interview number one this week with Ricky Rocket of Poison, talking about the stadium tour, talking about restarting his band Devil City Angels, and 
talking about his health, which for those that may have forgotten, he was a cancer survivor. And thankfully, as you're about to hear, is doing quite well. Ricky Rocket of Poison kicking us off. Ricky Rocket of Poison. How are you, brother? I'm doing good. Look, at least we can be on Tulsa time. Remember that song? <laughs> I do, indeed. <laughs> yeah, let's do a rock remake of that one. <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, there's an idea. Well, you're two hours. Let's see. I, I, Tulsa's an hour behind me. Um, and you're two hours. So yeah, so we could all, we could operate on Tulsa time and meet somewhere in the middle. It's a bummer though, that none of this stuff is happening, man. Huh? I guess you guys are, you know, I had Phil Collin from Leopard on last week and he was giving him his thoughts about it. But for you guys, I know you're, you were very much looking forward to getting out there and, and doing this thing this summer. And it, it has to suck to have it backburnered. Yeah, it, it definitely does, you know, but, uh, it looks like we're probably going to do more shows uh next year so i mean that part of it's good uh but you know def leppard was out last year and we weren't so that was uh kind of a letdown for me you know because we didn't get out there last year so but you know it is what it is by more shows ricky do you mean more stadium dates would be added or more headline poison shows you know maybe both uh i don't know for sure uh but i know they're working that was the talk and uh so uh, we'll see if it comes through. How far along was Poison? Because I was talking to Phil yes uh, last week about this, and he was saying that Leopard had really started to work on the staging and the rehearsals and stuff for their portion of, of the show. How far along was it for Poison before you guys got the word that it was going to be halted? Did you, did, did you guys get to a rehearsal stage, or did you know sooner than that that it was not going to happen? No, we didn't get to a rehearsal stage. I think we were all rehearsing individually, uh, but we the production was coming together. So we had people in place. Uh, some of the gear was starting to get in line. The buses, you know, all that stuff was getting lined up. So, yeah, it all got sidelined. Uh, so everybody was bummed about it. You know, a lot of people, uh, I mean, you know, we weren't headlining, so we had a little slimmed down compared to what we normally do. But uh, still, there were some people counting on that, and uh, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah, well, no, you weren't headlining, and, and obviously, but you were going to be, like tonight, you would have been headlining your own show in Tulsa, so there were those break-off dates, which I think a lot of people who were, you know, certainly big Poison fans were looking forward to, to get more of an extended set and a full show. So, well, and look, everybody's been sidelined this year. It'll be great if... 2021 means even more activity from the band. It sounds like that's a, a possibility. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, we just all need to stay healthy, stay focused and get to next season. And in the meantime, be creative and, uh, you know, try to get through, you know, I mean, I wish there was some magic bullet words or uh, something, but, you know, I got nothing for you, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, nobody does, and you're right. There, until we get a vaccine, there is no magic bullet, and everything's everything's all over the map. I mean, everybody has different parts of the country dealing with different things, different levels, different levels of restrictions. It's just such a mixed message. I think that's really one of the big parts of the problem. So, what have you been doing, Ricky? And I know we're going to talk about Devil City Angels coming back here in a second, but has that been your focus? Was that something you were going to sort of reinvigorate regardless of if Poison worked this year or not? 
You know what? Oddly enough, it was not a focus. I've been focused on my YouTube channel and just being dad. And uh, I've done a couple pieces for the travel channel, a couple of what they're calling shock docs, one on Amityville, one on Halloween, a few things like that. And I've been focusing more on that stuff. And I was talking to Brandon and I'm like, look, this song is sitting there. Like, why are we not just putting it out? And so we called up Joel and we're like, look, let's just put it out. Like, why not? And, uh, and we just decided to do it. This song is two years old. It's ridiculous that it just sat there, but uh, there is a reason for that. You know, Brandon got a record deal and it had made, you know, and poison uh, was going to tour. So I'm like, look, let's not, let's just everybody stay out of each other's way and let's not confuse the public. But you know, we got to a place now where it's just like, okay, everybody's on hold. So why not put it out? It would make no sense not to. So for people listening and are who are not aware of this band, the origins of this, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, actually trace all the way back to you originally working with Brandon Gibbs, who is the singer in a band that played under the name The Special Guest, which was basically you, Bobby, and Cece with Brandon singing, doing Poison songs at a Monsters of Rock Cruise pre-event. Is, so is, was that the seeds of this whole thing? No, actually it was not. Um, okay, so I met Brandon and his brother. They were in a band called the Gibbs Brothers. They're twin brothers, and they were doing this blues-based band. They opened for us in Iowa at a gig, for Poison, that is. And uh, I just thought they were absolutely brilliantly uh, uh, talented. And uh, so I produced one of their demos. And then the, the brother left the band and Brandon went on to do things with John Karabi and all kinds of different people just, you know, going out and doing gigs. And so when Tracy Guns and I put together the Devil City Angels, uh, we're looking at each other going, who's the right singer? And I said, look, I don't want to get a known guy because you bring a known guy and then all of a sudden everyone wants the band to sound like whatever band that known guy came from. Uh, and uh, so I turned him on to, to Brandon and he went, wow, this kid's great. So he was the, the first person we added. And then right after that, we uh, brought in Eric Brittingham, who had been playing with Brandon as well. So that's how that came together. So when there was a couple of gigs that, uh, you know, for Poison that didn't line up with Brett's schedule, we went, we're not going to go out there as Poison, but let's just go play these shows. And, and we brought Brandon in for that. So that's how that happened, because okay. Bobby had already met him and, you know, CC met him because, you know, they came to see Devil City play a couple of times. And, you know, they're like, yeah, this kid can bring it. So let's uh, let's throw him in the mix and let, let's knock these couple of gigs out. And we had a great time doing it, by the way. He, he definitely did a good job with it. So my so, timeline is off uh, because this, I'm, I'm forgetting that devil city angels existed before those gigs as the special guests. And so that's where my timeline's right. getting skewed. So the, so the right. Tracy guns, Eric Brittingham, you guys put a record out and then, um, do you feel that it kind of, you know, the record maybe got lost a little bit in the shuffle? Because I don't think it got the attention it should have. Well, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I got cancer is what happened. That was a big part of it. And, uh, you know, so we couldn't work, uh, not as that lineup. And, uh, 
everyone's like, we didn't know how long I was going to be or what was going to happen. If I was going to live, die, you know, be four months, six months, you know. And so it kind of destroyed the, the band. And, and Tracy, you know, had to go make a living. And uh, L.A. Guns had the opportunity to get back together. And I said, man, you should do that. I mean, that's your baby, you know. And he did. And, and everybody just kind of moved on. And, and I was all for it. I'm like, yeah, you can't wait around for me. Uh, I don't expect you to, and you shouldn't. And, uh, so, uh, so that's what happened. And so we just sort of thought that might be the end of devil city angels, but Brandon and I did a couple of gigs and we used, uh, um, Joel Kosha and we used, um, a couple different bass players at different times. And, uh, we just put this song together for the hell of it back then. It was a day off. We had a club for a couple of hours. We shot a video very, very minimalistically. And, uh, and then, so, but we didn't release it. <laughs> you know? We never put it out. We're like, well, are we a band? What are we doing? Brandon's like, oh, I'm getting ready to release this other thing. And, and we're like, look, let's just put it on hold. Let's just put it on hold. And so that's what we did. And that brings us kind of up to date really right now. Sounds like a lot of, uh, trips, but really it's, uh, not that difficult to understand that the, the timeline, I think. Now that I laid it out, did you give any consideration to? I'm sorry, what's that? <laughs> I said, What'd you say? I sound like a smartass just now. I'm sorry. No, 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 not at all. I'm glad <laughs> you. I, I mean, I was trying to get the timeline down because you know, there's a lot. In all honesty, as you know, there's a lot of this stuff, especially uh, that flies around my orbit because I'm talking to people every day who are doing side bands and then they break off and do a solo thing and just trying to keep the lineage of the whole thing straight. Uh, uh-huh. Was there was there any thought given to when you started this up again just recently to talking to Tracy and Eric about being a part of it, or were they busy with their other stuff and you decided to go with the guys you have now? You know, honestly, I don't even think Tracy is living in this country right now. I think he married, I want to say, and I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think a Swedish girl or something. I just don't think he's living here currently. You're right. Um, I speak to him all the time, but he's back now, but he was there for a long time. Okay. Yeah. So we don't talk a lot. Once in a while, we'll text, Hey, how you doing? We'll send each other a picture of our kids or something like that. Uh, but you know, we, we get along just fine. You know, Eric's doing the thing with Brett most of the time. Uh, so, uh, I, I don't think that's gonna, that's gonna come back, but, um, you know, so right now we don't have a bass player. If we went out right now and played, uh, we don't have a guy. I mean, we'd get somebody, but, um, so, that's that's where we're at with that. But it doesn't look like we can go play right now anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, well, apparently there's some places you can play, but most people don't want to. Did you uh do, do your are your hopes now to make uh, another record? Would you like to do that? A completed record with this band? I would like to. Uh and and I'm less worried about doing like a whole like record as it were. Like it, like just to you know, to turn out new songs every so often, I think is a, is a really good way to do things these days. I don't think you necessarily need to like go, okay, we have to have a package of eight songs or 10 or 12 or whatever, you know, in order to release anything. I think that, uh, and that'd be weird to do that, you know, at a distance like this. Uh, I know that we can do a few things uh, at a distance, but to do a whole record like that, we sort of would, 
we're the type of band that we're a little more organic than that. And we would be better off if we were in the same room, but you know, you touched on something, Eddie, there's so many side bands and I've been so sensitive to that. I don't, I don't like to do that. I don't like, I'm not one of those guys that are in a million projects and do a million different uh, bands and stuff like that. I've been in two bands, uh, you know, since 1986 and that's, Poison and Devil City Angels. I haven't done anything else. I mean, that's uh, that's all I do. And uh, I, I I come from the old school where a band is like a gang, and you know, and uh, and so that that's kind of my headspace. So it's got to be special for me uh, to to really uh, jump in with both feet. When you when you guys played with Brandon Gibbs and uh, that that time under and did the Poison set under the name the Special Guest, there are a lot of people that interpreted that as a shot across the bow to Brett to pull Brett back into the fold because he does so much solo stuff and you guys wanted him you know to do Poison stuff. Accurate or is that out of line to think that? Well, you know what? I've talked about this before and, you know, a little bit it was, but it wasn't like a a major F you. It wasn't like that. It was just like, look, we can do gigs too. And, uh, and that's, that's all that really was, you know, I don't think poison is in danger of breaking up really for any reason, because, um, I think after all this time, we've learned to respect each other's space and we understand who each other is and each other's needs. And I know that sounds all hippy dippy, but it, it, it works for us. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Brett likes to do his solo stuff. I mean, he just does. He, he needs a certain amount of time to, uh, you know, go in that direction. And, uh, so, you know, as long as that space is given, you know, you know, we're, everybody's free to do really sort of what they want. There's no reason to, really put a, a, a limit on that. Um, you know, I, I wish that we did do more things with Poison. I'd love to do a new record. I'd love to get over to Europe and South America and those kinds of things. I don't know if that's in the cards uh, anytime soon or not, but uh, but I, for one, would like to do that. Um, and there has been some talk about it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, why do you think it's... Because uh, I've had Brett on here a bunch of times, and it's always... The, the idea is always sort of like being open to making a song or an album with poison, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And, you know, you talk about the idea of all being in the same room to make a record, which as a rock fan, I mean, I love hearing that because I, you know, I'm an old school guy and I think that's a great way to make music, but I have a ton of artists on this show every day that are making records virtually. And I did my stuff and I sent it to him. And although I don't think that's ideal, there's a lot of music that comes out in that way. So why do you think it's so difficult for you guys to even make a new song given that especially now with everybody in lockdown, you could actually be at least passing around ideas or are you looking at that? Um, Like I said, there's been talk about it, uh, but I haven't gotten a call that said, Hey, we have something here. You ready to do a drum track or what do you think of this idea? You know, we haven't gotten to that stage yet. Uh, I don't know why Um, I, you know, I've, I've done this with Devil City Angels, so I can certainly do it with Poison. Well, hopefully that happens, because I know there would be a lot of people that would love to at least hear a song. And I think there was even some talk leading into the stadium tour when it was originally going to happen that maybe there would be a song or something, which is something that Brett said, I think, on this show, potentially doing a song 
to to sort of commemorate the band starting up again, but um doesn't sound like anything's I imminent at this point. Well, I'll tell you, I'm all for that. I think it would be great. And uh so, you know, you got my vote for sure. <laughs> Just gotta find three more. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's not, well, like it's, I said, there has been talk about that and CC played me some stuff on the phone and we talked about, I mean, there's some ideas floating around for sure. It's just, I don't like to say, Oh yeah, we're going to do it. And then it doesn't happen. And then, well, who's to blame. And then it turns into this whole thing. And rock has become this, uh, journalistically has become this trap for like, he said, she said kind of stuff. And, uh, some, you know, I just, uh, you know, when I actually, when something's actually done and it's out, that's when you go, there it is. You can't yeah. argue with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, you touched on your health a second ago with having cancer. And I remember, gosh, I remember it was a few years ago now. I, my timelines are always bad. But I remember a number of years ago, I forget where we were at some festival somewhere. Uh, and And I remember you were there performing with Brandon. And I remember talking to you and your voice was very you were sort of whispering when you spoke to me and, and everything. And then, you know, you, you revealed that you had had cancer and you sound great now. How, how are you health wise? Where, where are things at with that? Are you completely in remission? Uh, yes. Uh, so yeah, that show was that one that, uh, really turned into a mess. Uh, we got paid, 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 paid. There's a lot of artists that didn't get paid. <laughs> it was that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, I knew that, I, I mean, I had been diagnosed, um, and uh, I knew that I was going to have to go into treatment in a couple of weeks, so I went ahead and did that, you know, that show, and I think I think three or something in that period in time, and uh, then I just basically came back and locked down. So, yeah, I just had a, a scan, a PET scan three weeks ago, and I've been in remission uh, over four years now. Good for you, man. So um, I'm good. Yeah. That's awesome. The cancer was what exactly was it, Ricky? I remember you talk. We had talked about it, but was it, in, it was in your throat or tongue? Uh, yeah, it was the uh, base of tongue uh, with an associated lymph node, which is pretty common. Uh, you know, as far as like head and neck cancers these days, HPV related head and neck cancers usually are base of tongue. And, uh, you know, there's a few people that I've, you know, sort of mentored or helped out. Uh, and many of them are musicians, you know what I mean? Uh, and HPV is pretty rampant, you know? I mean, it really is. If you have a kid, get them inoculated. Uh, was it, the, was it the same <laughs> thing know, that Bruce Dickinson about that? Was it the same thing Bruce I'm Dickinson sorry, had? Was it the same thing Bruce Dickinson it had? It is the same thing Bruce Dickinson had, yes, and uh, and Dave Mustaine. Wow. And what were your Dave symptoms Mustaine initially? Well, I had a sore throat that wouldn't go away. Uh, that was the main thing, and then my I had a lymph node that was kind of sticking out, and uh, and that was the telltale. I mean, they you know first they tried antibiotics and they didn't work at all. Didn't even touch it. So it was like, okay, we need to do a biopsy. We're going to go down and scope and take take a look. And there was a lump down there. And, uh, and you know, then it started to get, you know, after a few weeks, it started to get hard to swallow, you know, because the lump was getting bigger. The tumor was getting bigger. So 
I I went and did uh, you know the typical uh, uh, treatment for it, which is chemo and radiation, and it did not work. And if that and and by the way, it's a fairly curable cancer. Um, so there's a, a good there's a high, especially with HPV, there's a high percentage rate of success with it um, of cure. Um, but in my case, it didn't cure, and so uh, my options were a whole lot less. So uh, my doctor told me recently, uh, he didn't tell me this before, but uh, told me recently that I had about a 10% chance if I would have went down the regular path. But we didn't. We used immunotherapy, and uh, it put it in remission in about 10 weeks. Uh, it's, it, when it works, it is amazing. Wow. Wow. Thank God it did, man. That's, you know, that you hear about this, you know, Tom Hamilton in Aerosmith, I'm not exactly sure what he has, but he has a cancer in his throat and, and same deal. Like I remember I've talked to Tom and remember when I talked to you, same thing, almost like a whispering because you can't, you can't, I guess you just can't get air through there or whatever. And it's just, it's just a, a horrible thing. I imagine it's just got to be scary as hell. Well, I think Tom, I mean, unless something has happened since then, he had it twice. And uh, he, uh, I don't know a lot about his story. I did talk to him um, face to face about it. And uh, he had, uh, he had a surgery, a pretty radical surgery. And I think he's okay. Is it back with him? But, well, I don't know if he's, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't speak on what his situation is because I just don't know. But the last time I spoke to him, I remember, I mean, he's so thin and I remember saying to him, my gosh, Tom, and, and he said he had difficulty eating. Like he basically has to drink his meals because he, you know, it, it, it was painful for him to eat. So I, you know, he's still playing, he's still rocking. He seems to be okay, but I just don't know if, you know, what he went through has uh, unfortunately a long-term effect because you sound great. And it's, yeah. gl- it's great to hear that everything is behind you. As far as this, there's no, no precautions, nothing you have to do now going forward. You're totally in the clear. Yeah, I am in the clear. I have to have, you know, I get scoped every six months for a while and I get a, a scan every year. Uh, and, uh, you know, I talk to my doctor, you know, we sort of become friends and we text if I have any concerns and, uh, but yeah, I think in Tom's case and a lot of people's case, if they have a surgery, especially a radical surgery, uh, it removes part of the tongue or if not the whole thing. And if you do, that makes it extremely or impossible to speak. And that was what I was, you know, offered was this surgery and I didn't want to do it. Um, a lot of people wind up with a stoma, they wind up with a a peg, you know, a a feeding tube for life. And, uh, and that's the worst, more of the worst case scenarios. Actually, Tom has part of his, his tongue. And so he can speak, but it's difficult. It's difficult for those muscles to work and to swallow food and for him to talk. Uh, and so I, from everything I understand that he's fine now in terms of cancer, but he does have the side effects of the surgery. Uh, I can't speak on his behalf. I feel terrible right. saying this. It's just from what I know of it and what I know of other uh, patients that went through stuff. My trainer, my physical trainer, went through it 22 years ago, and he had the surgery, the chemo, and the radiation, and part of his muscle groups in his neck are missing. And this guy just 
I mean, is still a beast. I mean, he doesn't, he just goes for it, but you can see it and you can see how it affected him. Uh, as far as me, uh, the radiation affected me. So I get muscle spasms in my neck or, uh, you know, I grapple. So I'm a jujitsu guy. So sometimes I, I'm more susceptible to injury in that area and stuff like that. But, uh, and I can eat anything I want, but I have to sit up straight. Uh, if I lean back in my chair, I'd, sometimes I'll aspirate it, you know what I mean? And I'll be coughing. I'm like, oh, you know. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, uh, I think if you sat down to a meal with me, you probably wouldn't notice anything different. I'm very lucky in that way. What about singing? You sing backing vocals while you play drums a lot. What, are your, is your voice there for singing? Yeah, it's fine, actually. Um, like, like I said, I was super, super lucky. And uh, all I can say is if somebody, if there's anybody out there right now that number one has symptoms and number two is going through this or about to go through this, I urge them to find a center that, that offers immunotherapy because immunotherapy, you don't have all the side effects of chemo and radiation. Um, it doesn't work for everybody, but they know how to test to find the right pathways to see if it will. And I'm telling you, it is. Um, like it's miraculous. It really, really is great. Yeah. I talked to Bruce Dickinson quite a bit about it. And I, you know, I went to see Iron Maiden after he went through everything and he was very public about what he went through. And when I watched Iron Maiden, he, he would, a couple of things I noticed during the show, he, he literally in the middle of the show over the PA told them to kill all the air conditioning because the it was hot and humid in the room, but that's how he would, as a lead singer, how it, how it helped him. And he had little stations all over the stage with water. So hydration was a big yeah. issue in keeping his voice. And you would imagine, I mean, he's a guy working a huge stage, running around singing, that that would be a, a concern. He did amazingly. My God, he sounded incredible. You'd never know. But there were these little things that obviously, because I think he went the chemo route, that are now stuff he just has to deal with. Yeah, it's not the chemo that that does that. Uh, it's the radiation. The radiation uh, kills the uh, salivary glands. Um, it, depending on where the cancer is, they have to focus that radiation, and it's very difficult to miss. The, they, they do their best to miss the salivary glands, but uh, most of the time it hits something, at least some of the overspray, and there's another reason why I say immunotherapy. Um, not to say that there hasn't been a lot of people saved from the standard of care, because there definitely has been, but that's what it does. It just, it just, and sometimes the salivary glands come back. Sometimes they only come back 15%, 40%. You never know. I have, uh, some issues with salivary glands. So I drink all the time. Um, you know, like I went during a meal, I'm taking a lot of sips and stuff like that, especially with breads or pastas, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, that's probably what he was experiencing. So it's the radiation is what it is. That's what does it. You and I share the same birthday. We're both eight eighters. Isn't it wonderful oh, getting man. old? And it's coming up and it's coming <laughs> up too fast. Right. But that's what hey, I'm man, saying. We're know, less than a month out. Alternative. Exactly. <laughs> but these are the things we talk <laughs> about now. Fans say to me all the time, like, what's it like being backstage with these guys and knowing them all? I'm like, it's great. We talk about what cholesterol meds we're on. What, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> welcome to, well, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be 56. Are you the same exact age as me? I am older than you. I'm, I, man, I'm your senior. Come on. 
What a I year! I'm an old guy. Yeah, man. I'm fi- I am 58. Yeah. Uh, that's not, come on. We're at the same ballpark there. Oh my God! Well, yeah. look, like you said, it beats yeah. the alternative, man. That's what's important, and you're still you're still good, and you're still rocking. Are you are you still doing the drum shop? Are you still doing drums? I, that, that was another thing that kind of disappeared with uh, with what I went through because it was a year battle or more, and uh, so no, I'm not. Uh, and to start back up, it's you know it's possible that one day I will, but right now it's just such a financial burden, especially in this what's happening right now. It just wouldn't make sense. So um, I'm playing DW. I've always played DW hardware for 30 years, and I played their drums for 18 or something. And so I'm playing DW right now. I'm happy. I don't have to worry about waking up and having customers complain because <laughs> something didn't show up in time, you know, or whatever. <laughs> All right. And last thing before I let you go, um, today is 35 years ago since Live Aid. What Do you remember Live Aid? Wow. I imagine you guys were kids still just trying to get started with Poison and you know moving to L.A. and all that. What are your memories of, of Live Aid? And were, were you gathered around watching it? Do you have anything you could share? Now, Live Aid was the one with Freddie Mercury, correct? Yeah, Queen and the Zeppelin reunion, yeah, which I, I forgot about. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. on the ad mat I read earlier, but Zeppelin and Sabbath reunited with Ozzy and David Bowie. And that was the one Philly and London as the sites. Right. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that was incredible. And it, and if you see the the Queen movie, that is like a marked point in time. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Uh, they really put that kind of put the band back together, although it was a little a little late in some ways. But uh, yeah, man, I, I mean, just it was a massive, massive uh, effort, you know, uh, I'm just thinking that remember the arts festival. Well, yeah, but I'm just thinking with Live Aid, the timing being 85, first Poison record was what, I think, 86. So you guys like could be could have been gathered around watching MTV 35 years ago today, and then like a year later, seeing your mug all over it, which would have been pretty cool. Yeah, but you know what? Um, you know, the Live Aid and those bands that played that are like that, the level, that level, it's just like, I mean, I just... You know, at that time, especially in 1986, I there's no way I would have ever, or 85 rather, I would have never associated us with anything that was happening on that stage. I would have been like, oh my God, I'm not worthy, you know. Uh, now, if there was a live aid today, you know, maybe we'd be invited to play it, you know, that would be awesome. Uh, I, I wish there would be something like that, uh, quite frankly, um, with everything that's going on with the social distancing and all that. Of yeah. course not. Um, but, you know, yeah, that would be, God, wouldn't that be great, you know, to do a to do another? I love those big festivals. The US Festival, we forget that, you know, that, that was sponsored by Apple, you know? Yeah. I mean, how rock and roll is Apple? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, Wozniak, yeah, of course, yeah, back in the day. And there were yeah, two of them. The, I didn't realize I there was met- one. There was one in 82. The one we all remember is 83, but there was one the year later, which I completely forgot about. He lost his ass on it. I know that. But I met Wozniak uh, uh, several years ago. I'm going to say maybe six years ago. Nicest guy ever. And just starts talking to you like he's known you all his life. I mean, just whatever, whatever subjects at hand, that's what he'll start talking about. And I'm like, and he gave me his card, and it was this 
highly precision machined laser cut piece of aluminum business card. <laughs> and I still have it today. It's like, holy fuck, I have Steve Wozniak's business card. Now, I'm sure it goes to the number he gives everybody else. But still, it's just cool to have, right? <laughs> it really is. That's awesome. I mean, All right, well, really, I mean, who would have thought Wozniak was the, you know, one of the early adopters for huge festivals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He just took a shot. I mean, and obviously discounting Woodstock, of course, and all right. that stuff, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, for that era, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, bro, it's great catching hey, up Eddie, with can you. I plug my, can, what's that? I said, it was great catching up with you, but yeah, go ahead and plug what you want. Go ahead. Yeah. I just want to, I want to plug my, my YouTube channel because I work very hard on it. And it's Ricky Rockets Legend Tripping. I do urban legends on here. I drive all over on my motorcycle and investigate uh, spooky stories and stuff like that. And sometimes I do motorcycle reviews and gear too. But the what's Devil the City what's Angels the address again? Is on it. What is it? Ricky uh, Rockets what? YouTube. Ricky Rocket. It's just uh, YouTube Ricky Rocket. Oh, just search your name on YouTube. Okay. Yep. Yep. And it's I'll Legend check it tripping. out. I do. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun stuff. Uh, I think, you know, I cover zombies and vampires and monsters and hauntings and all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, wow. My, I other, didn't, I, my other passion. I was unaware of that. We'll have to do a whole other show on that. I had no idea that you were doing stuff like that. So I will definitely search it and uh, and check it out. I, I have a little vacation home that I've been spending a lot of time out at the Jersey Shore, and I only have... Uh, streaming on the TV there. I don't put cable in because we're not there all that often. So I'm always looking for cool things to stream and watch. So I will pull that up and check it out. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, please do. Please do. There's a lot of fun stuff on there. Listen, man, it's great to catch up with you. I'm, I, I wish you were out there rocking this summer. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it happens next summer. And um, I'm most happy that you're healthy. That's the most important thing. And I'm looking forward to I hope you guys make... Uh, New music, a whole record with Devil City Angels, because this song, the reason I re I'll tell you, I reached out to you inspired by how good the song was. It's a really good song, and we're going to let the audience hear it in its entirety. I'm going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hit it for everybody so they can hear what you're, what you're working on and where Devil City Angels are headed. Right on. Thank you so much, Eddie. I appreciate it, and thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate that as well. You got it, man. Best to your family. Stay well. and. um Whenever I was coming out to LA every month, but whenever I get back out there, I'll hit you up. We'll have to do something at the Rainbow or whatever, and uh, and hang a little bit. But I'll definitely be in touch. That'd be great. Bring your mask. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be saying that for a long time, Ricky. I think that's going to be like, oh god, I know. You know, bring your hand sanitizer and bring your mask. <laughs> Yeah, or, or or you know what? Masks are on me. <laughs> exactly. All right, bud. All right, take care guys. of yourself, all right? Day. Thank you. I'll all see right. you, man. Bye now. Thanks to Ricky Rocket of Poison. Great conversation. Check out that new Devil City Angels song, Testify. It is out right now. We'll come back and be joined by Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke next on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Now, our second interview of this week's podcast, Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke. Enjoy. Charlie, how are you, brother? Eddie, I'm doing well. How, how are you doing? 
I'm good, man. I was thinking about this, and I, uh, I've i asked all the artists the last few months that have been on this show this question because it's the story of the day. Where were you and where was Blackberry Smoke when lockdown happened? Were you guys out on the road? I know you were opening shows for Skinner, right? I don't know the timeline on that, though. No, we were in Canada. We were on a Canadian tour of our own and had just played Montreal. Uh, when the plug got pulled and at that point we had uh like we had eight shows left and some had been canceled and some uh some of the promoters were saying no we're cool come on and uh that night i think everybody was like i think we should get home before the borders get closed because there was a big scare right at that moment too you know it's like oh if we don't go home now we might not be able to go home So, and then as soon as we decided, okay, we have to reschedule this tour, then all of the promoters fell into line and said, okay, that's it. Pull the plug. Yeah. I don't remember how Canada worked versus what happened here in the U S because Canada and the U S sort of locked down kind of at the same time. Right. Yeah, it was close. I, I remember that show where we were, it was actually in Kitchener, I believe, Ontario. And, uh, the promoter came in and we had a little meeting and he said, all right, well, our show's going to happen tonight, but we're closing and canceling everything starting tomorrow. <laughs> and I thought, what? That's odd. Okay. Uh, and then about an hour later, he said, nope, that's it. We're pulling the plug. Go home. So uh, I don't know. I think everybody at that point, us included, were like, what should we do? What's going on? You know, how how serious and real is this? Uh, is this a social media fire or is this actually a scary thing and then it turned out to be a scary thing so we were like okay let's go home and did you guys drive back to georgia or did you fly or how did you get back we flew we flew um the bus driver at the time said um i'm not going to try to drive you home because we might get stopped uh he was hearing some rumblings in the bus driver world that the border was getting a little sticky Mm. Yeah, because I've talked to bands that were in Europe. I talked to a band that was in Italy that was just, you know, just at the time, of course, which was like where really things got real bad real quick. And everybody's got a different story about this. And most of the bands, thankfully, I'm talking to got back with the band and the crews being okay and healthy. Others, not so much. You know, some of the the metal guys I know, like in, in Exodus and Testament, they were on a tour in Europe, uh, Exodus, Testament, Death Angel, and uh, at least about I guess roughly four or five people from each of those groups it was one bill on, on one, one touring package, but all got the virus and came back to the Bay area. you know, really, really sick. And we're battling for a while. Uh, you guys got out unscathed yeah. as far as that. We did. The only person that I know uh, that's been sick was my wife's sister and she was in China. Um, Oh, uh, and she got really she got really sick, and uh, it was really scary and touch and go for a while. She's fifty years old, and uh, but then she was okay. And and the uh, she's a teacher there at an international school, and uh, it was really uh, I don't know. I, I can only imagine what it was like. Number one, to to be sick with the virus, and number two, be that far away from home and uh, at basically ground zero as far as you know at the time, like, um, what was going on and, uh, but she's, she's okay now, but man, for a minute there, we were all just like, Oh, wow. This is, uh, 
this is bad. Um, so she, but so she, she you know, battled it over. Day, she was hosp- Charlie. She was hospitalized over there. Like she, she actually lives there. Then is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. She lives in Shenzhen, and she was hospitalized for 40 days. And so wow. she was she she went through the width and breadth of it, you know. And she's like, "I'm okay. I feel great." But they won't let me leave. <laughs> and so they were basically poking and prodding her every day for an extra three weeks or two weeks, two and a half weeks. Um, I think they were studying, you know, people's cases as, as to how it unfolded uh, and even how your body, uh, how your body works after you've defeated it or, or lived through it. So there was like, uh, they were drawing arterial blood every day and doing all these cultures. And she's like, Oh my God, get me out of here. So yeah, what an experience. Yeah, well, glad she's okay, but man, that's it's that's the crazy thing. It's just it presents differently. Everybody has a different story who's had it, and the crazy thing is, half the people who have had it don't know they had it, you know, because you're yeah, you're asymptomatic. Exactly. So that's what's really scary because that's how you can really spread it by not even knowing that that you're a carrier of it. It's um, it's 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 nutty times. And here's the other question I'm asking all the artists, which is you know, getting a variety of answers too. So here you are with your band, which has made its name by playing shows all over the world and being out there on the road and bringing great, real rock and roll shows to the people. What's it going to take for Blackberry Smoke to go back out on the road? Or And do you have dates on the, on the schedule now? Well, we have dates on the schedule from, you know, uh, our, our year. Uh, that was booked. And, and these are shows that obviously we, a ton went away and I, I sit here at home every day and wait for phone calls for more that have fallen. <laughs> you know, um, I guess basically what I'm saying is uh, a lot of the shows for later in the fall, you know, the promoters are, are hanging on saying, well, hopefully these will still happen. And I do too. I mean, we do just like you said, cause that's our living, <laughs> you know, I'd like to be able to, to feed the family and pay the bills, but I, I, who knows, you know, it seems like, um, every week I see more shows fall and that are either, either canceled outright or mostly postponed in our case. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting for the, waiting for the, uh, for the light to shine a little brighter. I don't know. It's, uh, just so much gray area. Are you the, the, you know, we're not going out until there's a vaccine in that camp or are you in the camp where, okay, if I, if we feel like the precautions are there and enough of it subsided, I'm willing to go out and do some shows. Yeah. I'm not necessarily the vaccine person. Um, that gets really complicated. You know, um, I think that we all, uh, you know, there was talk of some drive-in shows, um, that hasn't manifested yet, but I talked to a couple of friends that play in bands that did those that hated it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and said it was just a, a weird experiment, you know. Um, but I don't know. I think that uh, there's been talk of all kinds of things about playing uh, shows, uh, venues with limited capacity, that kind of thing, and the, the cordoned off audience areas, you know. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I think that kind of thing will work first because um, I, I just don't think people are going to, I don't think people are going to wait for a vaccine audience uh, and, and the industry included. I think when the, there's other ways around it is what I'm getting at. I think that they, they'll figure out how to successfully and hopefully safely put people in a venue away from one another and, 
whatever that takes, you know. But then again, I say that, and this morning I see that there's a couple of country guys that are being raked over the coals for <laughs> for playing a show, and apparently people just were like, screw it, we're going to a show. Um, I don't know. I think people just have had enough at this point of being cooped up, you know, and uh, they want to see uh, they want to see a little normalcy. But I mean, you know, uh, we, we definitely well, we had some shows that we could have that were offered like this week, and uh, we definitely were like, I don't think so. Not with the uh, not with the numbers on the rise again, and I don't know. In what, in what part of the country, million... Charlie? In what part of the country were those shows offered? What what, what states? Uh, one was Missouri, and that show actually went away. Um, the offer was there, and then it was. I think. I think. Uh, Maybe some of the maybe the case numbers were on the rise and they pulled the show altogether. But both remote type shows, outdoor shows, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a couple of guys in the band that are concerned for family members too, people that have some compromised immune system situations. And I mean, you they really can't be too careful, you know. It's like you're not going to put, you know, a family anybody's life at risk, but especially. Uh, in their cases, their their family members, and and I say that because they don't know, you know, like none of us. For some reason, it's so frustrating that we that none of us know the absolute black and white of it, you know. Yeah, there's a and there's a lot of mixed messaging, which is I think is a big part of the problem too. You see things going off, you you know, you, you see some gatherings are okay, some gatherings aren't okay. It's just it, there's just so much mixed messaging. It's really it's really hard for for people to navigate that, coupled with the fa- fatigue of being inside and or trying to be inside. I mean, it's changing everywhere, and it's also state by state. It's different. It's in New Jersey where I am. They they were just about to open up a portion of indoor dining. Finally, seconds ago, they just announced Mm -hmm. we're delaying that. It's just, and then I have a friend of mine that lives in New Jersey, uh, but he's from Wisconsin and he drove to Wisconsin a couple weeks ago and he went there and he's like, it's like nothing's happening there. So it's just, it's really, really, really difficult. I think for everybody to sort of figure this out. And I think there is a bit of fatigue setting in and, uh, I mean, I feel for the artists. I mean, I, I I know that that's how you and a lot of other artists make your living. And I had a guy on this show last week from an organization called NEVA, National Independent Venue Association. And I'm sure a band like yours, Blackberry Smoke, probably plays a lot of these size venues that he's talking about. And there's an initiative, yeah. Save Our Stages, that they've got going right now where they are trying to get Congress to help out these venues because he gave me a stat that of the 21,000 independent venues in, uh, in the country, if they don't get to open at full or close to full capacity, because he said doing half capacity, it, it'll cost them money to open if he can't sell tickets. They don't open yeah. significantly. 90% will fold for good and go out of business within six months. That's where they're at right now with that. So it, it it's that, that is like, and, and you, and we're going to talk about this in a second because you guys have such an appreciation for the history of music and the history of these venues that you've gotten to play and work in. That's a staggering statistic that 90% could go away. Yeah. It's, it's, un, it's, it's hard. To, it, it, it's surreal. It's hard to even wrap your, your brain around, you know, um, I also something else that I noticed, like I, I, I saw 
uh, or heard or read um, an interview with Sammy Hagar uh, in which he gave his opinion of um, going out and getting to work, you know, and he uh, and I'm I'm going to um, uh, I can't remember. I can't quote him exactly. Um, but he said something like, I mean, you know, people, we're all going to die, <laughs> you know, and he said it. And that makes sense. That's obviously the truth. But people were pissed. And it's just so it's uh, it's just disgusting to me. Social media, I can barely stand it. <laughs> but it's like people that get so furious over a man who's talking about he's he's voicing his frustration and the frustrations of thousands more people that we just want to go back to work. We just want to, and we just want to play music and spread love and do the things that we do, you know, and this man, he's not saying, you know, I think these people deserve to die. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I don't know. I'm just rambling here, but well, no, 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 like, no, no, no. I saw it. Look, I, and I know Sammy really, really well. He's a good friend, and I love the guy. I, and I, and that made a lot of headlines. And you know, as better as well as anyone, that the the media, the social media world will. And I've been victim of it, and you have, and I'm sure countless others have. That they love clickbait, and they love to sort of turn things around a little bit and come up with a headline, and the thing takes on its own life at some point. To the point yeah. that he had to he had to retract from that a little bit, and he clarified it a little bit. But here's the thing about Sammy having that position, which I've said to a lot of people: if we're being honest. Sammy Hagar does not need to work another day in his life for a hundred lifetimes. He knowing right. him. He's coming that from that from a standpoint of his band, the venues, the people that work at venues, the crew guys. He's a very sort of philanthropic guy. And knowing Sammy, yeah. how I know him, the mentality, he's a guy that flies around on his own jet. It's not like, I'm Sammy, I need to work. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's thinking of it from the public. We need to get this thing going again. And look, even though I'm in my early 70s, if I got to run a risk, I'm willing to do it just to get the machine going again. So I think, you right. know, there's a lot, there was a lot of different sides of that, that people didn't really see from just the clickbait headline. Yeah. I, what I took from it was he was saying just what we're going through is not sustainable. Um, not just the entertainment industry, but every industry, you know I mean? How it's, it's, it's easy to say, um, okay, you can't open, you know, it's this blanket statement that covers uh, so many different types of uh, businesses and so many industries. It's like, but when you sit and think about it, it's just like, how long can you say that uh, before risks do have to be taken um, on, on all, on all levels, you know, like, I, I don't, it's just, it's just the most complicated situation that I could have ever dream to live through <laughs> you know um was this, i don't know was the, I guess Skinner, we'll, the, the dates with skinnard were that you did you do them already correct my timeline on that was that before the lockdown or was that scheduled coming up because i know you guys did have dates scheduled with skinnard right we did we did some yeah we were doing some off and on here and there just uh just a few not on a tour but like for the whole through the through the whole thing just uh just uh, a couple of shows here and there, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I think they were starting to wind down their, their farewell tour. Um, if I'm not mistaken, weren't they? Uh, they're not stopping. <laughs> <I don't think laughs> they're stopping. Or is it another year? <laughs> I think it's another it's 10 long years. Goodbye. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's the move. I mean, everybody, that's the new move now because I don't think anybody believes farewell tours to begin with because nobody has ever held to it. So I, the, now, now right. the new move is it's a farewell tour, but it's going to take us 10 years to finish it and just keep stretching it out. Deep Purple's doing it. Kiss is doing it. Um, I saw Skinnerd. Gosh, I guess it was, uh, when was it? Towards the end of last year, I hosted a festival in Tennessee called Exit 111. Yeah. They headlined one of the days. And I was talking to Ricky and I was talking to Johnny. And uh, <laughs> I think it was Johnny, just before they walked out on stage, said to me in the wings, he goes, we're having too much fun, man. I think this is going to go for a little while longer. Don't you think? He goes, by the time we say goodbye, it's going to be another <laughs> yeah. couple of years, I think. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to see a people out there that love those songs. Why not? <laughs> right exactly yeah well i guess it was engineered that way i think that all of that was is uh is directly from gene simmons plan right i think it's right out of his playbook well the kiss farewell tour was in 2000 that the so for 20 years that's yeah. been going and counting so <laughs> exactly yeah. right how were i would imagine you guys went over a storm with skinner i would imagine that i mean that's a great bill uh, that had to be a blast for you guys i would think right it has been. You know, we've been playing shows with them since the early 2000s. I think the first time that we played with them was 2002. Uh, and we did every year of, you know, they used to host a cruise, um, the Simple Man Cruise. And we did all eight years of those. And so a lot of those, uh, a lot of the Skinner fans uh, became Bike Ray Smoke fans and, and they stuck with us. And so it's a, uh, we've got some shared love there, you know, with them. And they've always been great to us and they never, uh, they never uh, treated us like shit, or you know, did anything that that would make us never want to play with them again. They're, they they treated us like family and still do. So, it's something we really appreciate. Tell me about the, in this downtime what's been going on because a lot of artists that I'm talking to are writing and uh, you know recording virtually or with or some I've talked to even sort of covertly have gone into studios all together maybe the band members get tested or they stay distanced and they're going in and recording or they're doing it over zoom and producing records what's been going on for your band what are you doing creatively in this time i know there's a new ep we're going to talk about here in a second but above yeah. and beyond that are you working on writing a new record yeah i wrote a new record and we went in it's it's uh pretty much finished um we went in uh distanced and uh not bro hugging and not high fiving and uh and recorded a new a new album but we did it with dave cobb um oh wow and it's and you're gonna love it eddie trunk because it's a great big guitar album ah you guys got you guys went uh well we've talked about this before i mean blackberry smoked so many people from in all the just very much like Skinnerd, where you got everything from Southern to country to metal fans that love Skinnerd. I think the same could be said for your band, but sounds like you're leaning a little towards the the more rocking side. I think so. Yeah, I think it just maybe it's the time, and maybe it's the the way the because you know the song always dictates that really, um, and a lot of these songs uh, I wrote while under lockdown, <laughs> so uh, they they come lashing out. I think. But that was great. We we did it in ten days, and um, as with everything else, you know, it won't be 
mastered and packaged and available for a long time because the whole industry has slowed to a standstill. Um, but it was a night, it was a perfect time to, while we're not doing anything, you know, to, uh, to get some work done and, uh, and we did, and everybody's well and safe, and and all it all turned out to be really great. Tell me about this EP. You put out an EP of covers live from Capricorn Sound Studios. I checked it out before I talked to you. It sounds great. It must have been a lot of fun to go in and not have the pressure of having to write songs and go in and cover you know, classic stuff, whether it be Allman Brothers or Marshall Tucker. You even did a little Richard song, obviously, prior to, prior to him passing away, right? You didn't know... At the time you did yeah. that, had he died, or that was before he died, right? It was before. We did this back in early February. Um, we, we didn't initially, we didn't start out um, with the goal of recording a project. Um, we, were, we were trying to think of a way, or different ways, to promote our summer tour, which was going to be the Spirit of the South Tour with the Almond Betts Band and the Wild Feathers and J-Mo from the Almond Brothers Band. And uh you know, no, nothing is as powerful as video, uh, as far as a promotional tool. So we thought, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try and come up with something cool, a cool idea, you know, for, for video. And it just so happened that right in the middle of that conversation, uh, one of our friends contact contacted us and said, Hey, you should come down to Capricorn. The studio is reopened and they're ready for people to come make music. And I thought, well, that would be perfect. We could go to Capricorn and play some Capricorn songs. And so that's what we did. So we called Jimmy Hall from Wet Willie and, and asked, will you come and sing a couple songs? He said, yes. Uh, Marcus Henderson, that plays flute with the Marshall Tucker Band, uh, he came. And um, and we just went one day, one afternoon. And uh, I think we were the first band to go in and record in that room in like 40 years. So they got, you know, they were getting all the bugs worked out and, and, uh, it was magical. I mean, to walk into that room and think for us, you know, I mean, it's sort of like, uh, what you would call hallowed ground to record music, uh, in Capricorn studios. But, but to your, to answer your question that the, the idea was just, um, really to have some fun and to sort of pay tribute to some of this music. And it wasn't initially, um, uh, the idea wasn't for it to be a project, but then, you know, here comes all this craziness. And, and, uh, we thought, well, there, there might be people who want to hear this. So we packaged it up and there you go. When you go into a studio like Capricorn, where, which so many, so much legendary music came out of, I mean, it, it sounds sort of goofy and cliche, but is there a vibe? Is there an aura? Does it sort of, does it sort of, um, impact you as a musician you know being in a in a place like that do you feel it yeah i think so and maybe i'm just being a little romantic but i could feel it um they have it they have it all dressed up there too it's a bit of a museum so you can't forget because you're staring at a picture of the Allman brothers and of Otis Redding <laughs> on the wall so you you kind of are constantly reminded but but even just thinking about it as i walk through the doors it was like, okay, well, this is, uh, it, you know, it'd be like going to Muscle Shoals Sound Studios or to Stacks or even in Sun, you know, and you think about, you know, these are just human beings that were standing in these spots and they changed history, you know. Um, it's, a, it, it's, it's big. Chuck Lavelle, he called that day. He lives in Macon. And, um, you know, he was a, a member of the Allman Brothers Band and of Sea Level and then obviously a Stone's 
touring member now for since what 89 um but chuck is a sweetheart uh just a great person and he called and and a so what are you, I heard you guys are at Capricorn. What are you doing? I said, well, we're going to film some video stuff. And he said, uh, you mind if I stop by and, you know, have a cup of coffee, say hello. I said, sure, absolutely. So he came in and, and as he came in and was talking to me, I thought, well, good God, this man's DNA is helping hold this building up, you know? Mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, just, I don't know, those kind of things were, were quite surreal for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to like, um, I know the guys in Tesla and they recently did a record at Abbey road an acoustic record. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's gotta be like crazy. Cause they're all like everybody, huge Beatles fans, whatever. And I was just like, it must be, and they're like, yeah, you know, sometimes the, the studio itself becomes you know the bigger part of the story than what you're actually doing there. Cause you just, it's in your mind of like, what came out of this place did, did, um, why was it closed for, why were you guys the first to work there in 40 years? Was it totally, did they have it totally closed? Yeah. Yeah. It's been boarded up for decades. Um, there were records there made there in the early nineties. I think that uh, widespread panic was on the, and the label was still functioning at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but no, they, they closed the doors and, and, uh, shut down the label years and years ago. And, uh, Mercer University down in Macon, they're responsible for this, uh, for this reopening and uh, sort of preserving the history of all that music. You know, to your point, too, like Tesla talking about Abbey Road, most of the reason why those rooms, why there was so much great music recorded in those rooms is because they sound fantastic. There's something about them sonically. You know what I mean? Uh, or acoustically. And that definitely is the case at Capricorn and who knows why? Cause if you walk into Capricorn, you, you, you wouldn't think, Oh, I bet this room sounds great because it doesn't look special in that regard, you know? Uh, but as soon as you start to make music, it's like, Whoa, okay. You know, and they know they're like, the drums always went right here because right here is where they sound the best. And, uh, you know, we adhered to that. And, um, same with like, with like sound city, you know, the, um, right. There in Los Angeles, I think that they said the same, a similar thing about that. It about it that they, you know, you'd walk in and be like, "This kind of looks like a garage," <laughs> but then think about all the fantastic music that's been recorded there. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about this a uh, little prior to the EP that we just talked about. You released a a concert film, Homecoming, live in Atlanta. Tell us about that one. Yeah, that was um, recorded at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, it's a an end-of-year show that we put on every year there, uh, and people started to call it Homecoming uh, after the first few years. And, and uh, I, I don't know if you've been to the Tabernacle, but speaking of good-sounding rooms, that's another one. It's an old church uh, right in the middle of downtown Atlanta on Lucky Street, um, and it's beautiful inside and out. And every year that that we would play there, I would threaten to record it because it felt so good. And the audience was in such a mood, you know, that we did it the night after Thanksgiving. That's that's our annual deal. And uh, we've we've taken to doing two nights now. And uh, so last uh, not last year, but the, the year previous, uh, we did make good on the threat and brought in recording gear. 
and captured it. And the idea there was to try to capture as much of that room and the people as much as the band, you know, that's the, the, if you think about the, your favorite live records, that's the goal. That's always the goal um, to capture that give and take and the energy. And, uh, and we got it. Uh, And I'm really, it's exciting at the end. Those shows for us go so long. We play almost three hours. Um, So it was a, it was quite a job at the end of it all to pick and choose what songs should go because we we didn't want to have a a six record set, you know. <laughs> but uh, but oh yeah, really pleased with the way it turned out and uh, and uh, homecoming. And that was it. And you you talked to some. There's some cutaways of some of the fans and stuff. Your fan base who coming in for that show or you know talking about the band. It's pretty pretty mar- remarkable, and you got to be really proud of the, I've said it so many times, I respect the hell out of the way you guys have gone about your business and built the, the band and the, and the following you have and the work that you put into it. But it's got to feel really good to have a fan base like that. That is that passionate. Uh, you got people I'm sure that come from all over the place, you know, far from, from just your general area to come see you or come to that show and the, the passion and commitment that they have for the band. It, it's a unique thing. I mean, I know every band says, their fans are the best. You know, they, of course you got to say yeah. that. And in some cases they, they do have great fans, but there's also, uh, you, you know, just as an outsider, when I look at, at, at fan bases and see the interactivity and the connection and the, the bond of fans have with a band, there are these very special, it feels like almost a deeper community. And it definitely feels like that to me with Blackberry smoke fans. And I'm sure you pick up on that as well. Oh yeah. And have for so long now, you know, for, for years and years, we, we toured this country in a van and, and didn't have that. And it was all, it all always felt like, um, a brand new set of people, you know, and we've been together, it'll be 20 years in a few months. And, uh, at some point in the middle of that, you start to see the same people, a few more and a few more. And you're like, I, I saw them last night. Oh, I saw them last night. And the more that that grew, the more, the more touched I would feel about it, you know, not to sound corny, but it's like, wow, these people are spending their hard and hard earned money to follow us around. And, uh, and nothing is a better ex- or no time or gig is a better example of that than that Atlanta show. Um, it's, uh, just like you said, people come from all over, come from, uh, every state in the U S and, uh, European fans and, South American fans. And it's crazy. I could barely, uh, wrap my brain around it. Um, cause I don't know that many bands myself, uh, that I would do that for other than the Rolling Stones and, and, um, uh, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> right. Um, I'm joking, but, but it, it's crazy. And, and I, I couldn't appreciate it more. And, uh, I will stand toe to toe with those other bands and say, Hey, you don't have the best fans. We do. You know, you, you, did you see the, uh, ZZ top documentary? absolutely so they tell that story i think it was in the documentary or it may have been billy gibbons was on my show right around the time the documentary came out so i don't know if he said it on the show or it's in the doc or both but he had said a story about the very very first time they played and there was literally one 
person in the room yeah. and the curtain the curtain dropped and the person was like felt so awkward being the only one there they were going to leave and they go no no stay and they played the full <laughs> show and billy says to this day that guy still comes around to the gigs so do you have any stories like that from your earliest days now that the band's got 20 years in that you do you do you see a couple people or know a couple people in your fan base that were there in the very beginning that are still out there with you yeah, uh, I think so. Not nothing as dramatic and cool as that story. Uh, and like so many Gibbon stories, you wonder if it's actually true. It doesn't have to be. Uh, he's such a great storyteller. Um, I, I, I know of a few people that I can remember. I don't know about the first show, but definitely early uh, that I still see come around. And, uh, you know, and that, another thing about that, they're 20 years older, just like we are. And like none of us were spring chickens when we started. So I start to think, well, now I'm seeing their grandchildren coming. So that's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're helping their, helping their kids grow up and their, their grandchildren. And yeah, it's a, I mean, music, how powerful is it? Look what it does for people, you know, it just, uh, four and two people. It just so much happiness and togetherness and what would we do without it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys have been making some great music 20 years on. I can't believe it. Uh, so big anniversary here just around the corner. And, you know, to a lot of people, Blackberry Smoke is still a new band. <laughs> but you put in, you right. put in the work of two decades. So you're still plugging away. You're still, you're still preaching to the masses, but still converting new people along the way too, which I know is important. Yeah. I mean, it's still a thrill to see somebody that, you know, that comes to, uh, like the meet and greet after the show and says, my friend Jeff told me, you know, to come see you. And I did. And, and I loved it, you know, and that's all that'll never, that'll never get old. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest about it. I first heard of your band because when we were doing that metal show, Florentine wore the t-shirt one day and I was like, what's that band? And he said, Oh, they're kind of cool. Like a Southern rock thing. You might like them. And, as he knows, I like melodic hooky stuff. And I was just like, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool. He, well, doing in Jim's voice. Yeah, they're cool. Check them out. <laughs> and I was just like, can, <laughs> can I tell you what, can I tell you what he told me about you? Yeah. What do you say? Well, we played in, uh, it was in Pennsylvania. I forget the, I forget the city, but he came in. It was the first time that I met him. Uh, and I was blown away that he was there. Cause I, cause you know, I mean, I, I was like, you like us? <laughs> well, I think, I think at the he, time, I think at the time he was married because he was married for a brief time. And the woman he was married to was in the country and Southern rock a lot. So I'm not, I'm taking yeah. it. I'm going out on a limb here, but I think that that was probably his hook for getting into you from his end. Okay. Well, the next time that he came, it was, uh, I think it was the stone pony in, in Jersey and he brought Don with him. And so uh, we were talking, and I said, well, when are you going to bring Eddie? He goes, oh, he's going to be a tough sell. He, I'm not sure he'll be into that. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and I've had so you there, on like there, four there times, so there you go. You're, you, nobody can figure anybody out anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was like, and I, I had to call him out. I was like, don't pigeonhole Eddie Trunk that way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was funny, too, because we were talking about this with some people the other day, because when we were doing that show, and of course, you know, I'm still, you know, great friends with Don and Jim. We were texting this morning, actually. But but uh, as that show went on, everybody like I've always had a certain lane that I 
liked more than other in, in music. And I was always more of like, you know, leaned a little more towards the hard rock and the melodic side, although I love my metal as well. And then Don took a path where he got like way darker and heavier. And by the end, towards the end of the last few shows, he was like into death metal and all this stuff, which I admittedly don't like. And then Jim went in this other area where he started getting into like Southern rock and a whole nother world. So just like everything, I mean, that's what music's about. Everybody discovers things and changes and some people like things other more than others. But I mean, that's, that's throughout time. I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. You know, I'm, I met and became friends with Brian Baker several years ago, he came to Atlanta and saw us play uh, from Brian Baker from Junkyard, Minor Threat, Dag Nasty, Bad Religion. And uh, he came and we hung out backstage and our merch guy, who is an old punk guy, went absolutely bananas. He was like, I, do you know who is in your dressing room right now? And I said, yeah, I know it's Brian. He's really nice. He came, you know, he's, uh, he's like, no, do you know what band he was in? And uh, I said, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm familiar well, I'll be honest with you, I had never owned a Minor Threat record because that's not really where I come from, you know, mm-hmm. but sure. musically. Uh, but And Brian was joking about it He was because I brought our merch guy in and he was freaking out and he wanted his autograph and his picture made with him and he, had a, he wore a Minor Threat shirt and, or, or went and got a record or something like that. So Brian said, I'm going to guess that you uh, are, mo- are more a junkyard guy than a Minor Threat guy. And I said... Well, yeah, but so not to be outdone, I went and thought, well, I'm not going to be just the junkyard guy. So I went and bought that out of step minor threat record and I I brought it home and I'm 45 years old and I come home, I put it on my record player and I turn it way up and my wife comes in the other room and is like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I said, you just let me have my moment, woman. I'm having fun. But no, I, I, you know, and that was a new, for me, that was new. You know, I had never before owned a Minor Threat record, and it's fantastic. So, so yeah, it's all yeah. out there for us to discover, right? Yeah, exactly, and you don't have to love anything. And I've always said it's okay if you don't like something. It doesn't connect with you, and if it does, that's great. It's like, you know, I don't I don't believe in guilty pleasures. If, if you like something and that makes you happy and you enjoy it, that's all that matters. I, I never cared what anybody else thought. I mean, that goes back to high yeah. school, man. That's why I didn't get invited to my prom, because I couldn't care less that people thought I was uncool for what I liked. So I've always been sort of defiant about it, and I respect everybody's opinions, and uh, I think everyone's entitled to theirs as well. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. That's yeah. the, beauty, the beauty of music. Yeah, it sure is. Well, listen, man, it's great to talk to you and uh, always good checking in with you. Everybody check out the latest EP from Blackberry Smoke. It's out there right now, live at Capricorn Sound Studios. These, uh, I think, six tracks. These guys doing some great covers of music that originally came out of that historic studio. The Live in Atlanta concert is out there for everybody to see as well. That's been out for a little bit now, but that's the most recent video thing. And I'm looking forward to this record, man. It sounds like the minor threat influences worn off on you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's 12 two-minute songs. <laughs> we're holding well now we're waiting for some really punky crazy edgy blackberry smoke record to come out you know i, yeah. I love um another band people i love that people wouldn't think that i like is i love soul asylum and i think dave perner's just yeah. like a, a, a genius writer and i love they made a great new record and i had perner on a, a couple months ago and uh he said to me he goes 
Eddie goes, the next, this record's not really all that heavy. He goes, but I'm really thinking about the next one being a metal record. (laughs) Your soul (laughs) asylum, man, what you do and what you write is perfect for what you do. You don't have to make a metal. He goes, but I really want to. He goes, I might want to talk to you about that a little bit. I said, well, if you want to. So uh, it was pretty funny, man, because everybody's got different itches they want to scratch, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I've always felt really fortunate, you know, to your point and not to make this any longer, but our fans, they afford us the freedom because we've never worked with a major label. So thanks to our fans, we can make a living and make the records we want to make. And every, every record gets to be like, a like a, a roller coaster, you know, heavy songs and funky songs and laid back songs. And, you know, if we were working with a major label, they would say, hell no, you can't do that. You gotta, you gotta adhere to this formula. That's what, that's what makes money. And, uh, I like the people who like it all. Yeah. Well, listen, man, the way you've done it has certainly worked for you. Stay well there, stay safe, best to the band. And, uh, hopefully next time I talk to you, at least on the air, we'll be talking about this record about to be released and everybody back out on the road doing what everybody wants to be doing. So, uh, best to your family, Charlie, thank you for the time today. And, uh, always good to talk to you, bro. Thank you so much, Eddie. Same to you, my friend. Always great to visit with Charlie. Great guy, great band. I thank him for the time on this week's podcast. Also, thanks earlier, of course, to Ricky Rocket. As I was saying earlier, next week I should have, uh, all things uh, work out the right way, a podcast exclusive debuting right here on the podcast next Thursday, an exclusive conversation with Black Crow's original drummer, Steve Gorman, talking about his incredible new autobiography, The Life and Death of the Black Crows. Looking forward to that next week. Remember, follow on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. And, of course, Katie Irizarry, as always, is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You guys have a great week. Uh, Listen to me every day on Sirius XM if you're in the U.S. or Canada, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 106 Volume or on the Sirius XM app, nightly replays 10 to midnight Eastern. Stay safe, stay well, stay healthy, and I'll catch you next Thursday for another all-new episode and exclusive here on the podcast next week with Steve Gorman of the Black Crows on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Take care.
Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.